a series called Shaken to Awaken, believing that God has shaken us and is shaking us to awaken us into a closer relationship with Him. What has happened in 2020 is no accident. The hand of the Lord is in a lot of what is happening. It is shaking us to awaken us to a deeper, more abiding, spirit-filled relationship with Him. Children ages three years through fifth grade that wish to go to children's church, you can exit out that door. The rest of you take out your Bibles, turn to Haggai chapter 2. The notes are on the back of your uh, announcement flyer as you walked in. Greetings to those online. You can uh, access the notes on our app under the sermon section. And I love it when we are when we find ourselves at a place in Scripture, just because we're doing a normal study of a book, like we are now, haven't really paused at all for Christmas in any way, and we find ourselves, by the providence of God, on a passage that could not be more relevant for what we're going through right now. As we transition from 2020 to 2021, we have here a passage that addresses an issue of looking back versus looking forward. And how many of you are ready for 2020 to be done? I mean, you just want to bury that baby, be done, and you're hoping, you're praying, you're wishing, you're wanting 2021 to be better. Now, let me tell you this. Regardless of what happens in our culture, regardless of what happens with COVID, regardless of what happens with our politics, regardless of what happens with our economy, 2021 can be a great year if you're locked into Jesus, abiding in His Word, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because our joy and our stability is not dependent upon our circumstances. Listen, if your joy and your happiness and your stability is dependent upon your circumstances, whether that's the economy, whether that's how good your wife or husband treats you, whether that's how good your health is, then your stability is in the wrong place. We're going to see today a situation with the Israelites where there was a tendency to look back and get discouraged. And God is calling them, rather than do that, look ahead and be hopeful. How appropriate. As we stand right now between 2020 and 2021, this passage is so applicable. So let's stand as I read just the first five verses of Haggai chapter 2 out of the ESV. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, so just to bring you up to speed, if you look at the last verse in chapter 1, it gave a time period when they had started to do the work. It's been about a month now. So they've been at this project revisiting. Remember, they started it. They neglected that for years. God called them to repent. They've started back on the project, and it's been about a month now. Month in, and, and there's a chance here to get discouraged. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. To all the remnant of the people and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, 
my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Father, people are plagued by fear today. People are plagued by discouragement. People are plagued by all kinds of things because they're looking at the media. They're looking at social media more than your word. And their circumstances cause them to get very discouraged. And I pray that rather than be discouraged, you would bring encouragement to your people today through your word, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all who agreed said, Amen. You may be seated. For some background to this section, you could read Ezra chapter 3 on your own. What is happening here is that there were some people old enough to have known Solomon's temple. It was more ornate. It was larger. It was a more palatial structure than what God is calling his people to rebuild here. And so because of that, some of these older people were looking back and discouraging the current project because they said, as it says right here, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Kind of, you kind of sense a little attitude here. I mean, one thing we don't have in Scripture is the tone of voice. And so, I, I granted, I'm embellishing a little here, but I get the sense it's kind of like this. It's like, who saw it in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? I'm old enough now to have people say, remember the good old days? <laughs> and I go, wait a minute. The good old days you're referring to, I actually was in high school and they weren't necessarily any better than now. I don't know what you're talking about in terms of the good old days, but point number one today is this. Looking back can lead to discouragement, especially if you compare. And when we compare, what do we do? We always compare to something we think was better, whether it was or not. We think it was better. I mean, social media is really the... It's Be careful. What do people post on social media? I mean, a few people might post, I'm depressed, please pray for me. But most people post really good stuff. You know, they entered a new relationship. They went on a vacation. They had a new kid. They bought a new house. They're giving you a picture of their new car. And so if you're not careful, you compare with that, and what happens? You always fall short, don't you? I mean, I'm 59, and I've had some of my high school friends posting, I'm retired. I'm like, what? How in the world are you retiring this early? Obviously, they were more financially successful than I've been. But it's, an easy, it's, it's a tendency when we compare to always compare to those we think have it better. Comparison can be the, one of the biggest robbers of joy. And so that's what they were doing here. They were comparing the current temple to the former temple. And in, in their eyes, it, it didn't really measure up. And that can lead to discouragement if you're not careful. You look back in your past. You look at your past. Maybe you look at your, how, how much you've progressed in your relationship with Jesus and you get discouraged. You know, I, I should be more mature by now. I should know the Bible better. I should have more fruit in my life. Be careful about looking back. If looking back, and Satan loves to use our past. He loves to bring up your past sins, your past failures, and say, how can you call yourself a good Christian? Look at what you've done. You're a horrible person. That shame and condemnation is from where? The enemy. Now listen, just for balance, there is a place to look back. Okay? But when looking back leads to discouragement, you're probably looking back in an unhealthy way. Where can looking back be healthy? Well, a lot of ways. If looking back makes you more 
grateful for what God has done? Amen. Don't forget what God has done. You know, forget not his benefit. It's one of the reasons that we did an annual report this year. Every ministry wrote a part of this annual report, remembering what God has done this year. We're going to do that every year from here on out. If looking back, listen, if looking back helps you overcome a struggle, that's healthy. People that have a struggle or an addiction, they need to go back to where it started. Why did you start using drugs and alcohol? What was the pain that maybe occurred in your life that caused you to start doing that? Let's go back to that so that God can heal that. Or if you go through the seven steps to freedom by Neil Anderson, one of the steps is binding and rebuking ancestral sins. There's a place for that. My dad has hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, 2,100 miles from Georgia to Maine. We calculated once how much I've done with him, because I did it a lot with him before I moved to Wisconsin and didn't have the opportunity to do it. I've done about 450 miles. Well, I can remember a hike when we were in the Tennessee mountains when we got off the trail. You say, how do you know you're on the trail? Well, they have these white blazes that they put on the trees. They paint them on there. And we had gone about a mile, and all of a sudden it occurred to us, uh, we haven't seen a white blaze in quite a while. And we discovered we had gotten off the trail. So what did we do? Did we try to cut back where we thought we might rejoin? No, 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 no. You go back to where you got off. We literally had to walk back a mile. And then we came to this intersection. Oh, man, here's where we made the wrong. You know, we went here and should have gone there. And it was like, duh. But we had to go back in order to get back where we needed to be. So there is a place for going back. Jesus with the woman of the well. What did he do when he's ministered to her? He reminded her of how she had been looking to men to meet her deepest needs. You've had four husbands. The one you have and you're living with is not your husband. There's a problem here in River City. (laughs) And so he, he took her back so that she would get in touch with what was the problem in her life. He didn't take her back to shame and condemn her and say, you'll never amount to anything. He took her back so that she could see the root of her problem. So you have an anger issue, you might need to discover why. You abuse your spouse, you might need to discover why. You have a hatred for men, you might need to discover why. It's probably because of something in your past that needs healing. So there is a place to look back, but when looking back causes you to compare and get discouraged, then it's not healthy, and that's what was happening here. You know, the Israelites could have gotten discouraged over all their failures in their past. David could have concluded, I committed adultery, I committed murder, I can't be the king of Israel, God can't use me anymore, but he didn't. He moved past. He received God's forgiveness. Paul killed Christians, persecuted Christians. And I love the way he dealt with his past. All he said about it, I was the chief of sinners. But praise God for his forgiveness. And I'm going to forget what lies behind and I'm going to reach for what lies ahead. So the beauty of the gospel is there's always hope if you give your life, give your sin, give your failures to the one who can forgive and heal you. So number two today, looking ahead can lead to hope. And that's where we're going to focus. That's where this passage focuses. And this is one of those where just in two verses, verse 4 and verse 5, be strong, be strong, be strong, work, for I'm with you. According to the covenant that I made, my spirit remains in you, fear not. Every one of these six phrases or words have power 
And so we're going to see six keys today to having hope for the future. Now, I'm not a big alliteration guy, but it happened to work today, so I did it. All these begin with P. The first is this, passion. Be strong. He says it three times. He tells the governor to be strong. He tells the priest to be strong. He tells the people to be strong. Be strong. Don't be discouraged. Now, listen, this is not a be strong in your own strength. This is not a buck up. Get your boots by the strap and just move, you know, this, no. Because the New Testament parallel passage here is, and I want you to turn to it, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Turn to that. Here we see what it means to be strong. Again, it's not a be strong on your own. Be strong in your own resources. Just try harder. No. What is it? It's a be strong in what? What is it? Steve, be strong in what? In the Lord. That's right. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His might. So this is where that beautiful partnership between us and God comes in. He's calling them to be strong. He's instilling courage within them. He's motivating them to look forward. And in so doing, he says, basically, it'd be like God saying, you can do this. Don't let the fact that you've only got a little of the project done. Don't look, don't compare with the old temple. Matter of fact, he's going to tell them later, and I think this is going to be next week's message, the future glory of this temple is going to be greater than the past one. And why is it going to be greater? Because his presence is going to be stronger. Not because the palatial structure was better or more ornate, but because his presence was going to be more powerful. And I submit to you, his presence in us is even more powerful than they had then. Because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. They only had the external presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the internal presence, and that's why Jeremiah 31 says the new covenant is where I will come and abide in you, and I'll give you a new nature. And that's why Hebrews says the new covenant is better than the old covenant, because it's more internal. So he's saying here, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Word. Be strong in the power of the Spirit. Be strong, be strong in faith in perseverance because of whose you are and who you are in him. So God is speaking encouragement to these people. Number two, progress, work. Very simple word, isn't it? Work. Again, it's not a work in your own strength. The New Testament parallel here, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, so turn there. Philippians chapter 2. But he's basically saying, look, if you're going to see progress... You gotta work. You gotta put your hands to the plow. No time for laziness, no time for goofing off, no time for sitting back and thinking that I'll just wish it into existence. No. Any progress in life requires work. The difference is do we do it on our own or do we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit? One of the things that I insist that our staff do every year is set goals. I'm a big believer in setting goals. But do it prayerfully. Seek the Lord. So every staff member here has to set at least three personal goals and three ministry goals. What are you going to endeavor to see progress being made this year in your personal life and in your walk with God? But you do it prayerfully. You seek the Lord. And I challenge every one of you to do this. It's not a fleshly thing if you do it right. 
But any progress requires effort and work. You're not going to grow in your relationship with God this year if you don't put forth an effort. You're not going to have influence on other people if you don't set some ministry goals. Believe God to, to lead some people to Christ this year, to share your faith, to serve. Maybe increase your giving. I want to be stretched in my generosity. I'm going to go from 10% to 12%, whatever. But set some goals. Read some good books. Say, I don't have time. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You have time always to do the will of God. So the companion passage is Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, first of all, know that you're loved. Love that. Beloved. You're loved. You can do this because you are loved by God. This doesn't increase his love for you. This doesn't make him love you more. But because you are loved, then do this. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. And that word literally is a mining term. Go into the gold mine and pull out what's already there. Work out of your life what's already been put in there to you by God. He says, I've given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. You already have everything you need for life and godliness within you the moment you're saved. Now work it out. Get it out of there. Tap into that oil well like we talked about last week, Mr. Yates. But look, how you do this, how? Verse 13, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Again, a partnership. You are to work. You are to put forth an effort. But you do it relying on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's the one at work in you. He gives you the desire. He gives you the power. He gives you the revelation. He gives you the insight. So you are partnering with God for spiritual growth. Number three, you do this because of his presence. I am with you. I am with you. Don't overlook how powerful this simple phrase is. I'm with you. God is with you. If you're saved, God is in you. If you've received Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is in you. That means greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, Satan. That means greater is he that is in you than that problem you face, than that temptation you face, than that addiction you're struggling with, than that struggle to love your spouse. God in you is able to accomplish whatever is needed in your advancement in him. It's these kind of phrases that we just need to stop for a moment and meditate. I'm with you. Don't let, this is why I would say, if somebody had a choice I'm going to read five chapters a day so I can get through the Bible in a year. or three, I think it's three a day or five, man, whatever. Average of three to five. Or I can read ten verses and really land and linger upon it. Meditate. Chew on it. Pray it. Digest it. I would say this. Now, if you can do both, great. But if I have a choice between three to five chapters just so I can read through the Bible in a year, and I'm not against that, or I can meditate on 10 verses, I would say you will be spiritually more productive in the meditation on 10 verses. And this would be an example. You come to a phrase like this, and you just tend to just kind of read over it, and then you say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to land and linger. I'm going to land. I'm going to land that helicopter. We're going to put that on that pad right there, on that I am with you. And I'm just going to meditate on that. What does it mean, I am with you? 
you begin to have these scriptures come to your mind. Matthew 28, Jesus said, For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? Everywhere I go, there you are. You begin to meditate. You begin to realize I'm, God's not only with me right now as I spend time with Him in the Word and prayer. He's not only with me when I go to Living Hope Church. He's, he's with me as I'm driving in my car. He's with me as I'm at work. He's with me as I exercise. He's with me when I get frustrated with somebody and lose my temper. And he's with me so much that he's, he's, that, he's that, that whisper in my ear. You, you probably need to go and apologize. <laughs> Humble yourself. He's with us. He's in us. Number five. Or number four. His promises. This is good. I love this one. So in encouraging them further, then the next phrase is, according to the covenant I made with you. This is an important word. This is an important concept to understand in the Bible. I don't know if many of you have had teaching on the covenants, but it's powerful. Listen, a covenant is an agreement between two or more persons. In the Bible, some covenants are unconditional and some are conditional. An unconditional covenant is God agreeing to do something, and it has nothing to do with whether we even cooperate with Him or not. He's, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and doesn't matter what you do, I'm going to do it. There's a covenant still yet to be fulfilled called the new heaven and the new earth and the second coming of Jesus. Is that conditioned upon us doing something? No. He's coming back. He's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. And if you're not in the Lamb's book of life, you lose out. Sorry. He comes back for his people. That is a covenant that he will fulfill because he's a God of his word. He always fulfills his covenant. Then there are covenants that are conditional. If you do this, then I will do this. Deuteronomy 28 is like a conditional. If you obey, I'm going to bless. If you disobey, not a good scenario. So salvation is a conditional covenant. If you repent of your sins and receive Jesus, then you become a child of God. But Jesus coming to earth was unconditional. God prophesied it, he did it, he came, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead because he said he would. That is an unconditional covenant. And it's available if you will receive him. It's all been done, it's all been paid for. There was a covenant with Noah. I will never flood the earth again. That's unconditional. He didn't say I'll never flood the earth again if you don't sin like Sodom and Gomorrah or other places. If that were the case, he would have already flooded the earth again. Just look at America. But he said, I'll never flood the earth again. And just to show you that I'm not going to do it, I have this symbol called the rainbow. Isn't it interesting that the enemy, don't let me sin, Lord. He gave the symbol of the rainbow to show that he would not flood the earth again. Covenant with Abraham. He said, through you, Abraham, I'm going to create a great nation, the Israelites. The covenant with David. Through your lineage, David, despite all your sin, despite all your failures, through the line of David will come the Messiah. He gave the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. I'm going to establish a new covenant with my people. 
I'm going to indwell them. I'm going to forgive their sins. I'm going to give them a new nature, a new heart. I'm going to replace that old heart, that sin nature. I'm going to give them the divine nature, a new nature that's called the new covenant. Hebrews says the new covenant is better than the old. So God is a covenant-keeping God. And one of the ways that he was encouraging his people to look to the future with hope was to reminding them of the covenants that he had made that he fulfilled. And in the same way, you and I can look to 2021 with hope if we are anchored in his word. If you believe his word more than social media, if you believe his word more than NBC News, if you believe his word more than the forecast for, for Wall Street, it's his word we must be anchored in. This is why 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for everything we need. This is why Hebrews 4 and 12 says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is why Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is why 1 Corinthians 1 said, All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. This is why Psalm 1 says, He who meditates on the word day and night will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whatever he does, he prospers. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said the house built on the word is like a house built on rock. The winds and the waves come, but that house stands firm. But the house built on the sand is, is like a house where the winds and the storms come, and great is the fall of that house. If you believe the media more than the Word of God, if you believe social media more than the Word of God, if you believe what's on the news more than the Word of God, I'm telling you, your house is going to sink this year. But the person who builds their life on the Word, because it's here that we learn who God is, his attributes, His nature. It's here we learn the beauty of the gospel. It's here we learn all the blessings of our salvation. It's here we learn our true identity in Christ. It's here we learn about the prophecies that are still be, that are being fulfilled and yet to be fulfilled about the end times. It's here we learn how to manage our finances. It's here we learn how to build our marriage. It's here we learn how to impart that to our children. It's here we learn about our finances and about relationships and about healing and about how to forgive those who hurt us. Everything we need for life and godliness is right here in His Word. And so He's telling them that the way to have hope for the future is to be rooted and grounded in His promises, His Word. Tell you what, whatever goals you set for this next year, there should be something in there that's related to your knowing and abiding in His Word. Beloved, I do challenge you this week. Get alone with God if you haven't done this already. Get alone with God and just begin to put in a journal. Put on a piece of paper. Put it on your notes section on your smartphone. God, what would you have my goals be for this year? Just three. Just pick just three. What is it? Every, one of the things I do every year is I pick a, a character quality or kind of a theme for the year. So my theme for 2021, listening and leadership. I want to better hear the voice of God. I want my spiritual ears to hear God's voice more clearly, to be more led by the Holy Spirit. So I have some goals related to that. And then leadership. I want my gift of leadership to go to a new level. 
I want to use my leadership gift in ways that hopefully will advance the kingdom more. And I've got some bullet points under that. Then the next phrase is powerful, and we won't spend time on this because we spent an entire message on it last week, but how cool that he reinforces it here. Power. My spirit remains in your midst. How cool that God would say this to them. Again, reminding them of his Holy Spirit. It, it ties in with what we learned last week, that he stirred up the spirit in Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people. And so last week, if you weren't here, I encourage you to get that message. A whole message on what it means to be filled and baptized and anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I love the fact that, well, look at this. Talk about word and spirit. We want to be a word and spirit church, right? What did he just say? The word, covenant. And then here, spirit. You got both. (laughs) God wants us to be a word and spirit church. He wants us to be word and spirit Christians. If you have the word without the spirit, you may have all the the, the stuff to do right, but you won't have the power to do it. And if you have the spirit without the word, you can get sidetracked because you think it's the Holy Spirit leading and it's just your emotion and it's not in line with the word of God. You need the word and the spirit if you're going to be balanced and fruitful in following God. And finally, and this one is huge for 2021, he wants them to have peace because he says, fear not. Oh, if you were to describe the most dominant negative emotion of 2021, what would it be? Steve, fear. Fear of COVID, fear of sickness, fear about the future of our country, fear of the economy, fear about your job maybe. Fear about where is it safe to go and not go. Fear is dominating so many people's lives. And the most often used phrase of Jesus, fear not for I am with you. Now listen, the Bible talks a lot about fear, not to shame us when we have fear, but because God knew we would have fear and to help us do something about that fear. You see the difference? He doesn't give us these verses. Jesus never came and said, fear not to shame and beat him up and say you're such a lousy person because you have fear. He knew we would have fear. He knew this would be a common struggle, even in 2020. (laughs) Not to mention 2,000 years ago, not to mention in 520 B.C. It was a struggle then. It was a struggle in Jesus' time. It's a struggle now. It will always be an issue. But he talked about it to help us overcome it. He gave us specific ways to not be bound and controlled by fear. And so I'm going to give you four things that I have found helpful in dealing with fear, and I hope it helps you. First, I had a list of ten things. And then I said, you know what? We can't be there all day. I'm going to narrow it down to four. And I hope these are helpful for you. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list. You can come up with others. But this is, I hope, helpful, and I encourage you right now, before I even get into them, think of that area right now that you struggle with the most in terms of fear? Get it in your mind. Write it down. I'm going to use three illustrations to flesh this out. Fear of COVID. Fear of never getting married and remaining single all your life. And fear of witnessing. Just choose those three. I could have chose a lot of others. So I'll be bringing those up as I go through this. First step, name it. 
First thing in conquering fear is name it. Put a name to it, identify it, write out all the things you can write out to describe it. Write out the worst case scenario. Okay, so I fear getting this virus. Why? Because if I get it, I'm going to be really sick, maybe, and I could die. Okay, worst case scenario on earth. You die. And you die, and it's not a pleasant death. Somebody said once, I'm not afraid of death, I'm just afraid of dying. <laughs> so that would be that one. Okay, the person that has the fear of never getting married and remaining single all their life will play that out. Why? Well, because I, I feel like then I, 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 I would feel like I'm unloved, unwanted, and I could never really experience, you know, giving and receiving love if I have to stay single all my life. Okay, that, that, just play it out. Write it out. Be honest. Be honest. You got to feel before you can heal. Before you can heal, you need to feel. Don't deny it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Name it. Describe it. Get it out there. Fear of witnessing. Why do I fear sharing my faith? Because I think that they'll reject me. They won't like me. Um, they'll ask me a question that I won't be able to answer. Okay, legitimate issue. Let's play that out. Worst case scenario, they beat the living daylights out of you and you're, you die. So they don't like that you're witnessing to them, so they beat the crap out of you. Sorry, I shouldn't use that word. And, and, um, and you die, worst case scenario, okay? All right, so we're going to play those out. Number two, replace lies with truth. In describing this scenario, in, in taking it to the nth degree, you will inevitably discover that in that description, and you can do this later today, there's some in things in there that are just not true. All right? So, I get COVID. I get really sick. Okay, what's the truth about that? In that state, what would be something true? Get prayer and God could heal, right? Okay, so let's replace the lie at that point with the truth. God can and does heal. Doesn't do it. And you do die, all right? But you're saved. You're in Christ. Then what's the truth? You go to heaven. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Paul said to live as Christ, to die is gain. So you start playing this out. Now listen, I'm not making light of the seriousness of this virus. Please, those of you watching online, none of this is meant to downplay the seriousness of this virus at all. I'm just trying to help people that might be gripped in an unhealthy way, overcome by fear. A friend of my dad, she lives in another state, doesn't go here. She's in good health, okay? So it's not like she has health reasons that would make her do this. I found out this week, she has not been out of her home for 10 months. For anything. Now, I'd go crazy, just, you know, cabin fever, whatever you call it. But she has literally not been out of her home for 10 months. Now, for some that have legitimate health issues and all that, you may, have not, you may fit this category, and this does not apply to you, please. This is not a generic apply to everybody. I'm just giving you her as an example. For her, she is just gripped by an unhealthy fear. Okay, and we're going to play this scenario out in a minute. The witnessing. They do reject you. They just completely, you know, reject you. You're trying to witness what is the truth? Jesus said they have not rejected you, but me. That's right. So the truth, again, replace lies with truth. They're not rejecting me. To, to take it that they're rejecting me is a lie. 
The truth of the matter is they've not rejected me, they're rejecting Jesus. Okay, they beat the living daylights out of me and I die again. What's the truth if I'm in Christ? Heaven! I get, I get, hey, I, I go down as a martyr. Man, there's some eternal rewards for martyrs. <laughs> there really are. All right, the person who has the fear of being single all their life, never getting married. Let's put that under the microscope of truth. So they feel that if they're not married, that they can't give and receive love. Is that true? No. Giving and receiving love is not dependent upon being married. You can give and receive love whether you're single or married. Furthermore, if you stay single all your life, maybe there is more of a struggle with loneliness. But let me give you a quote from my brother. Better to be single and wish you were married than to be married and wish you were single. <laughs> That'll preach. Furthermore, the truth is, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul said it's actually to your advantage that you be single. He said, no, I'm not saying it's wrong to get married. You can glorify God there too. But he actually said you can, bet, you can give more time and energy to serving God single. That's the truth. So you analyze this and you begin to see, oh, I'm believing some lies. I need to replace those lies with truth. That's why it's so important to name this, write it out, and take it to the nth degree. And I would say it's very powerful to speak the truths out loud. Speak the Word of God. Speak the Word of God that replaces the lies with truth. Third, worship God. Because there is one thing we are called to fear. God. Fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proper fear of God is to reverentially respect Him and worship Him. And when you fear God, then the fear of God will become greater than those things you struggle with at this other fear level. The more you fear God and worship God, then these other fears, it, it begins to outweigh them so much that they begin to diminish, not get eliminated entirely, but they will diminish to the degree that you fear God because when you fear and worship God, you realize He's greater than these other things and that there's nothing He can't handle. Furthermore, when you worship God, you invite His manifest presence. Furthermore, when you worship God, you send the enemy running. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Sometimes fear is a literal spirit. It's a demon. And when you worship God, the demon flees. And it says in 1 John, perfect love casts out all fear. And the only perfect love is the love of God. And you begin to stoke that and stir that and experience that when you worship Him. I sat in the back today on purpose during worship. Some of you are absolutely unengaged. You sit there, you stand there, you're not singing. You're barely paying attention. And I'm not saying it's reduced to physical things, but you, you, you're just, I'm sitting there and I'm not judging you, but I'm just saying based upon what I see, some of you need to get a fire underneath your rear end. I don't know. I, and whether you like the music, whether you think a guitar is on to, tune or whatever, if you're focused on that, you're focused on the wrong thing. But I'm telling you, the songs we sang today, if you don't worship in those songs, something needs to change in your heart. I, I just don't get it. Either you're unsaved, you may not even be saved, and that's fine. You're welcome here. We love you. Keep coming. Get saved. But if you're saved, 
and you sit through a worship service and you are not involved in the least, you're sitting there just kind of like, man, I'm just saying, check your heart. You need to check your heart. And I love you. I tell you this because I love you. I'm not here to make you comfortable. I don't preach the word to make you feel good. I'm telling you the truth so that your life gets aligned with God. Because worse times are coming, I'm telling you. I do not see a bright forecast for the United States of America. I don't. If it happens, glory to God. But prosperity usually doesn't lead to greater spiritual temperature. Prosperity, which we've had. We've been so blessed in this country. I didn't say any of this in the first thing. You guys are getting this for free. Prosperity usually leads to comfortability. Prosperity usually leads to passivity. Prosperity usually leads to lukewarmness. Maybe the best thing that could happen to America is an absolute financial collapse and the persecution of believers. Do I want that? No. Do I think we should fight for our rights as believers? Yes. But at the end of the day, if that doesn't happen and we get persecuted and we get put in jail, it just might cause the church to rise to a level it should rise to. That's what happened in China. Communism came to China and everybody thought, oh, Christianity's done. It flourished. It has flourished underground because they had to put their feet into action. They had to live it. You were either in or you were out. No more lukewarm. And in America, we have so much lukewarmness. Go to church. Sit through a service. Don't get involved and think, oh, I did my thing. I'll check that box. No. Where's your heart? Where is your heart with God? Final thing. Walk in faith. So now you get to the place where you put your faith into practice. Because see, fear is immobilizing. Faith is mobilizing. So let's do these three scenarios. The woman with COVID who's living, hasn't left her house in 10 months. I can't say I know the will of God for her. I don't presume to say that. But I just have this feeling. (laughs) She probably needs to get out. Now wear a mask, do whatever. I'm not saying she goes to the next rock concert and, you know, whatever. But... Go to a park. Just get out. She's being overly gripped by her fear. Now, again, this doesn't apply to some of you watching online at all. So please, please don't mistake this. But for her, I believe she's allowing fear to immobilize her and keep her contained. And so for her, stepping out in faith might be quoting some of these verses and replacing lies with truth and just taking a walk in a park. I don't know. Okay? For the person regarding witnessing, what's the step of faith here? Start sharing your faith. (laughs) Share your testimony. Do something where you are verbalizing something about Jesus. Try to engage in a spiritual conversation. Ask some good questions. Hey, do you ever go to church? What do you think about Jesus? What do you think the real meaning of Christmas is? But as you do that, yeah, you might get some bad responses. But I'll tell you, if you handle those according to the word, it's going to build and strengthen you. And then the person who's single, it's just that one, it's probably just a matter of, I don't know what the application would be there for that person. But the bottom, that one is more of, a, of an issue in, in here. What are you believing about this? But maybe, here's one, here's one, because I've counseled some women who have been abused. And because of that abuse, now let me take another scenario. A woman who's been raped, and that is like, Huge trauma. Cannot even imagine. 
But a woman that I counseled in Wisconsin, with a woman in the room too, I don't counsel women alone, we discovered that she, because of the rape, she, she had decided I'll never trust a man again. All men are evil. All men will want to take advantage of me. Is that true? No. Now, should she be careful? Yes. You know, walking down a dark alley alone probably is not good for her to do, or anybody to do. But, you know, so she would be in these situations where that fear would grip her. She'd have, kind of have the PTSD thing kicking in. And so that's, we, we talked about how to deal with that. But to conclude that I will never even date somebody or consider a relationship because of that one incident, that's allowing the enemy to have victory. You see what I mean? And so she needs to go back and get healing and believe truth. And so her walk in faith might be to at least be open to a relationship. Again, with super carefulness. Man, vet the guy. I mean, do an FBI background. <laughs> this is where the church is so good. Because I tell people anytime, you're dating somebody and, and you want us to check him out? Hello, ladies. We'll do this for you. We will. Our elders are on standby. We love to interview that guy. And I mean, work him over. Be cleaning my gun while we're doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I'll ask him a lot of questions. And, and I'll help you date in a constructive, godly way where you're not behind closed doors alone, hello, and you're in safe places, you're in good conversation. How about group scenarios? Those are really good. You know, go to dinner with two godly couples in this church. <laughs> Let them all grill him. <laughs> Work him over. <laughs> See if this guy passes the test. We will vet him for you. But the bottom line is the willingness to step out. So that you break that grip of fear. All right, we got time for a few questions. Text them in. Two mics here. Um, Jimmy's going to grab one. Kevin, will you grab the other? Thank you. How's that for a change? Some of you that have never been here before are like, whoa. It's like, whoo, and then questions. One of the reasons we do questions here is because we want to model an atmosphere that nobody has all the answers, including me, and that it's okay to ask questions, that questions are healthy, they help us grow, and we want an atmosphere of openness and transparency, that nobody here, including the senior pastor, has it all together. We're all in process. All right. Oh, you're just standing over there. I thought Spencer had one. Hey, dude, I'm putting you on spot. Come on. Don't have one? All right. And make sure that phone is getting checked. So my question is uh, how I get single for so long because I know I feel anxious about that. Mary Catherine, help me he out. He feels anxious about being single for so long. Yeah. Yeah. That's right because you know uh, every time I feel like uh, most of my friends finding the date very easier than me, yeah. even get married younger than me. So here's what I'd say to that. First of all, again, avoid the comparison trap, okay, because you're looking at your friends and they're getting married or they seem to get dates easier. So beware of that comparison, okay? Second, I love what Josh McDowell says. 
great quote. He says, rather than try to find the right person, make sure you're going to be the right person. Focus on your own growth in Christ, your own maturity in Christ, your own godly character, so that you're ready when God brings that person to you. Because so often, we're looking, wanting that person to come to us, and we're not growing enough in just our own walk with Jesus. And so the illustration that I love to share is if you're walking through the woods, looking at the sky, you're going to run into a tree. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But if you're walking through the woods looking for a tree, you're not going to run into one. So the best way to be in a position where God can bring that tree to you is be looking up, be focused on him, be growing in him, and he will bring that person in his time. You can trust him. And it is, listen, the biggest advice I give my kids Better to, listen, stamps, kids, y'all are my neighbors, I love you, here we go, you ready? This will, get, this will help you so much, you'll, be un, you'll just forever thank me for this. You can go wrong rushing, but you can't go wrong waiting. You can go wrong rushing into a relationship too quick, but you can't go wrong waiting. Because even if you wait too long and God has to whack you upside the head and say, look, get, marry her, what are you waiting for, you've been dating for... Seven years now? Come on. You know, you can go wrong rushing the thing, but you can't go wrong waiting. And so beware of getting into something too quickly. Listen, had a woman after first service, never been here before, came up. She's been married just a few months, already separated because the guy is abusing her. Man, I want to take that guy and strangle him. I said, first of all, you've done the right thing and separated Protect yourself. But why? Because she got into it too quick. They had only dated like two months. Are you kidding me? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. All right, we got one. Mine was not so much a question, but a couple of comments. One on the, the whole thing about fear. I love the, the acronym thing. Fear is false evidence appearing real. That's a way one more time. False evidence appearing real. Y'all hear that? F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. That's good. And Why didn't you give me that before today? <laughs> <laughs> and the other one has to do with the relationship thing. Um, like you were saying, don't, try, don't worry about rushing things and wait for God to work things out. Mm. Steve and I have been married for 34 years now. Ooh. We've known each other 70-something. Whoa, whoa, wait a no, minute. No, no, we've, we've, we've known each other for, let's see, 1972 to today. So that's 46 years. We've only been married 34 of that. We were only dating two of that before then. So we've known so each other. knew what you were getting. A lot longer. And we, you know, we, our lives went separate directions yeah. and everything like that. And God brought us back together again. But I know, obviously, God knew that we were the match for each other when we were 13, yeah. when we first met. Yeah. But it wasn't until much later that we had each reached the position where the timing was right. That's good. So that he can confirm and reconfirm and reconfirm and reconfirm. Character is only known over time. You don't know somebody's character in just a few months. And ask others that know that person. That's a good thing to do. Find out who knows that person and has known them for a while and inquire about them. All right, this will be the last one. Worship team, come on up, please. This was texted in. How would or should I become more godly when I don't know if I believe fully? Get in the Word. Read it one more time. 
How would or should I become more godly when I don't know if I believe fully? I'm not sure we ever believe fully. The Bible never talks about you have to believe this much. You take God at his word, and that's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if your focus is on your faith, it's in the wrong place. Your focus needs to be on God and his word. Faith will come after that. And so you root yourself in his character, you root yourself in his word, and you take him at his word. You say, God, I don't feel this, my circumstances don't seem to show this, but you say here, and I'm going to hold to that. That's true faith. That's true faith. Let's go back to all the P's, please. Which one most speaks to you today? one do you just need to kind of grab hold of? Where are you struggling? Where are you gripped by fear? Or where do you want to advance in 2021? Just take one area today. Give it to God. Listen, if you are not saved, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door of your life and I knock. You hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I'll come and sit at the dining room table. We'll start a relationship. Receive him now. Say, Lord, come into my life. Take control. He loves you right where you are. Nothing in the past disqualifies you to be saved. Mm. Nothing in the past disqualifies you from being saved today. And believer, nothing in the past disqualifies you from advancing in Christ. Today's a new day. We're coming up on a new year. God is a God of the new. New covenant, new hope, new promises, new growth, new death, new fruit. I believe the Lord would say to many of you right now, my child, I have given you my presence and my power. Do not look back in a manner that discourages you. Instead, stand up and be strong and look ahead. You can do this because you have my spirit, you have my word, you have my power, you have my promises. I'm here to help you if you'll just call upon me. I want to deliver you from all your fears. Let's do this together. The future's bright because I'm faithful and powerful. Be strong and get to work because I'm with you. The Spirit's in you. My word is true. And I don't want you to live in fear. Lord, we thank and praise you for your word today. Cause it to bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Our prayer team could be available, please, if anybody wants to get prayer welcome to come to the front here and just kneel as we sing this song of surrender and asking God to refine us.